0: Hey, friends. So welcome back. This is another episode of Ambushed, and I would like to start off by saying thank you for checking this out. This one is called The Kingdom of God Isn't a When Question, and I think this could be a fun one, could be a good one. I think it could also be a short one. So thank you for checking this out. My name is John, and I am trying to put my pastoral education a good use by doing this so every time i come up with a, come across an interesting reading i'll make some notes and then i'll expand on the notes and then every so often i'll be like you know what i need to share this with someone and this is the way in which i try to share something this one today is all about the kingdom of god which is a phrase which you've probably heard before, or if not, maybe you've heard different things about it, but the kingdom of God is a phrase that some people have understood as heaven, but it really isn't quite synonymous with heaven. Kingdom, which we don't really quite have today, we have countries, we don't have a king and a kingdom, maybe Britain does, but right now they just have a queen. Anyways, we now live in a time where kings and kingdoms aren't often spoken of. So this analogy, it kind of doesn't fit today. So what I would like to do is break it down and to make it uh, maybe a little bit more relevant to today. And in order to do that, uh, we're going to read from Luke 17. Pay attention to one simple thing, wrap it up, and then we'll be good. Okay. So thank you for checking this out. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, this will be worth your time and investment. Let's get into it. Okay. Luke 17 is right in the middle of what is called the Great Lucan Interpolation. Now, from chapter 9 to about chapter 18, Luke puts together all of these random stories of Jesus in a different ordering than happens in Matthew, Mark, and John. So Luke had something interesting going on. And this section right here is a part where Jesus has a conversation with some Pharisees as he sets his face, quote, towards Jerusalem, knowing what he's got to go do in Jerusalem. I'm going to read it. We'll break it down. There's only a few short sentences. Here we go. Luke 17, starting in verse 20, it says, Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, Or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, the Pharisees had a rather potentially political understanding of the kingdom of God or heaven. And so for them, when when is the rule of God actually going to happen? Was pretty much their question. And in some sense, they were thinking of how Jerusalem was under Roman occupation. It was under the oppressive thumb of the Roman Empire. And so for them, they were thinking, man, when is Jerusalem going to be taken back over by us? And so for them, the phrase kingdom of God quite literally meant a kingdom that was being led by them. So there you go. The Pharisees wanted to ask Jesus this question because they thought that he was potentially going to be the kind of ruler or king that was going to overthrow the Roman Empire from their seat in Jerusalem. And so for them, the kingdom of God had actual Not just like political ramifications, but it actually had ramifications of potential warfare, of potential bloodshed. And before and after Jesus, there were a number of other failed messiahs who tried to lead a revolt against the Roman Empire, and it did not go well. And in fact, there was another attempt of revolt in the year AD 70, which then led to Jerusalem just being destroyed. And then there's another one called the Karbokba revolt. History is filled with people caring about this city of Jerusalem to the point of bloodshed. And here's Jesus doing something really interesting, is that he takes their when question and makes it into a kind of different where question. So as they asked, when is the kingdom of God going to happen? He would say, well, actually, it's among you or within you. There's variations in the Greek. When you look at this in the original context, you're not sure if it means uh, among or within the kingdom of God is on the inside. What does it mean that it's potentially in the believing collective of the Jesus community of its day. You see, Jesus has got something very interesting. I think it's Robert Capone Farrar talks about how there's two hands of God. There's the right hand, which most people think God uses a right hand form of power. And it's the right hand is the hand that's got a hammer in it. It's the hand that's got a sword or a gun. It's a it's a hand that's got power and it will exert force to make things happen. But the but the Jesus movement doesn't do right-handed power. It does left-handed power, which seems as though it's weak, but actually it it grows like it's a flower, or it, it blossoms, or it's or more organic, but it doesn't use the gun, or the sword, or fists to make itself known. And so what we have right here is not only the Pharisees asking a when question, when they should be asking a where question, they also have undertones of right-handed power rather than creative left-handed power because they want to use force to make their understanding of the world happen rather than using sacrificial love, which is the Jesus movement. And it's very interesting because Jesus even says the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst or within you. If there were bloodshed and there were battles and hills being taken, you might be able to say, like, capture the flag. We took that hill. We took that battlefront. This is now our territory once again. We fought hard for it, and now it's ours. Jesus isn't really interested in... In advancing the kingdom in such a way that it can be so blatantly pointed out. That it can be so obviously stated like, look, that's it. This is where it is with the right hand of power rather than the left hand of sacrificial love and self-giving Jesus is doing something really fascinating here because the kingdom of God cannot be established by force. And in that sense, it's a kingdom unlike any other kingdom that's been seen before. So I have a few things written down, but that's just to get us warmed up. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you find this really interesting because I absolutely do. Okay. So there's a few questions I wrote down. The disciples and the Pharisees, they were asking a when question and Jesus replies with a where answer and even a who answer. He answers their question by saying who it is among, not what territory because the kingdom of God is a movement of people not of national borders. Oh, so good, right? The kingdom of God is within you or among you. He takes the kingdom and he puts it in the hands of community, not geography. Oh, that is so fascinating. Here's a brilliant example of Jesus being a rabbi that can be unpredictable. And the Pharisees and probably disciples are completely uh, bewildered by his statements. So, the who is it? Jesus? He said. He says, "Nope. The kingdom of God is among you." What? It's the kingdom, right? The basileia in Greek. Where he says is within or among. When? It's not in the future. The kingdom of God is now because the Pharisees were looking forward to a day. And here's Jesus saying, nope, not then, but now and among you. The kingdom of God is very interesting. Um, but why did Jesus explain the kingdom of God in this way? Well, in other places he talks about the kingdom of God. It's kind of like yeast in a bread, that it slowly rises the bread, and it's it's like it's a little ingredient that maybe you can't see, but it has some big ramifications because it changes the bread completely, because it rises it and it changes it, and all of a sudden bread is delicious, you know. So here's <laughs> here's something I wrote down. Ready? Christianity has been limping ever since the Copernican revolution. And I write this because Copernicus helped us to understand that the universe is not geocentric, meaning everything doesn't circle around the earth. And in fact, it's heliocentric. Everything that we know in our universe circles around the sun. And by coming around to realizing this, the earth is is actually a globe, right? And that means up and down are very different. And so we've got to relook at some of these passages that talk about heaven and hell, because heaven and hell, what's up for me isn't up for people on the other side of the planet. What's down for me isn't down for other people on a different part of the planet. And so where's heaven? Is it up for me or is it up for someone else? Is hell down for me or is it down for someone else? Like, where, where are these things? And I think that's why Christianity has been having a hard time is that as we've understood our universe differently, people are left asking like, well, maybe heaven and hell aren't quite the way it's been talked about. And so they throw everything out rather than realizing, no, there's still deep realities being spoken of here and these conversations about heaven and hell and the kingdom of God. But still, the teachings of Jesus are not caught off guard by the findings of Copernicus. Because what if... What if heaven and hell, let's just go poetic for a moment, are within and among us, rather than thinking of it like an up or down from us, but rather among. What if we were to stop and ask ourselves, yes or no, is heaven happening among us and our community, or is hell happening here and among our community? You see, heaven and hell are definitely realities, but they're realities that exist in the now. You might very well know of people who are going through a personal and quite theologically accurate, hellacious experience right now. And then there might be others who are just walking in bliss because the kingdom of God is happening in them and among them and within their community. Because the kingdom of God isn't really uh, a place that's or an environment or milieu. It's not, it's not something that can be forced with the right hand of power, but it's only something that can be uh, graciously and tenderly lived out with a left hand of surprising sacrificial love. The kingdom of God, as Jesus understands it, is a game changer because not it's not in the future, it's now. And it's not where on the planet, but it's among people. Let me finish with just a few more things that I've written down. When one thinks the kingdom of God is first of all, physical reality rather than a spiritual one then you are prone to going about physical ways of making it happen ooh namely using force or coercion or shaming I mean let's be honest there are some people that think they can shame the kingdom of God into happening now as if we can shame people into acting more and more like Jesus rather than letting The one-to-one conversations happen and inviting people into it. And in fact, the kingdom of God can only happen among people when there's radical repentance rather than unrepentant radicalism. It's not extremism that makes the kingdom of God happen. It's the softening of one heart at a time right? Isn't that the left-handed kind of power rather than the right-handed kind of power? And so here we go. Any kingdom of God that is imposed via unrepentant radicalism of the left or the right will inevitably become a kingdom of hell. Ooh. There's good reason across all of the Gospels that Jesus uses organic and biological analogies the most to explain the kingdom of God. We only know our way of establishing kingdoms, of empires with swords and bombs and tanks, with power, with trampling, with intimidation, by threat of obliteration. That's all that we seem to know. But Jesus comes along And he just always is a game changer by saying, in some way or another, there's another way. And so, the kingdom of God is like a seed that grows slowly and silently, almost without coercion or even need to be noticed. The kingdom of God is a reality that shows all other realities to be fake, to be lifeless and without any beauty that blossoms. The kingdom of God is like a seed. So that's the last that I had written down. So let's wrap it up. What can we say here from this passage? In Luke 17, the Pharisees try to confront Jesus, maybe trying to figure out if he's a militant leader. And instead, he throws it back on them. Now, there's something really profound here. And it just now came to me. But Jesus is having this conversation with the Pharisees, not with the disciples. And so that means the Pharisees came up to him and asked him, when is the kingdom of God going to happen? And he says, no, 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 no. It's not a when. It's a among and within you. Jesus is telling the Pharisees the kingdom of God is among them. Now, we often think that the Pharisees and Jesus are the enemies of one another, but here he is, and it's somewhat of a hopeful statement to kind of say that. And he says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God is among you. Even you Pharisees. Even you who don't seem to get it. The kingdom of God is slowly growing like a seed. How brilliant that Jesus not only redefines Um, the kingdom of God as not being a political entity that can be made by military or forceful means, but he even says you can find the kingdom of God among those who are not good disciples, among those who don't even exactly look like Jesus' followers. The Pharisees are there because they're trying to tease out something from Jesus, maybe trying to catch him in his words, try to, I don't know, find some reason to put him at fault. And then he does the brilliant thing of saying that the kingdom of God can even happen among his enemies. Oh, And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks often about make sure you love your enemies, right? Love them. Pray for those who persecute you. Do not shame or scapegoat your your opposition. But here he is saying that the kingdom of God is even among his opposition. And that's a great question. Yes or no, are you and I able to say, that the kingdom of God can even happen among those who we think are our opposition. Our enemies, those people who are trying to trip us up. Because Jesus is all about finding potential. Where potential is to be found. And when you name where the potential can happen, then there's more of a chance of it becoming actual. Rather than just staying as potential. Potential. So the kingdom of God is not a right-handed thing that can be forced into existence. It's a left-handed thing that's surprising, seemingly weak, and to be found among even those who we think are against us. If we have the imagination, and dare I say it, even the faith to admit that it can happen among people not just in one territory or another. So thank you for listening. This has been, uh, what, what did we tell this one? The Kingdom of God Isn't a When Question. And if you found this helpful, go look up uh, patreon.com backslash John Chafee. And if you got something meaningful out of this, uh, sign up, you'll get more stuff there. I just made mugs and I've been mailing some out and giving them to people. And if you want a mug uh, for supporting, great. I'll mail it to you with a note. But otherwise, feel free to give this a share. I think this is fun to do. And of course, it's fun to hear from you. Uh, I think that's it. Thank you for checking this out. Go and find the kingdom of God among people. May grace and peace be with you.